I saw that and was just uh, incredibly inspired by a guy in his mid-70s when so many people are like, you know, kind of sliding into autopilot, maybe saved up enough retirement to, to move, uh, move somewhere and wake up at 7 a.m. and get excited about what's for dinner and golf and then watch Jeopardy and do the whole thing over again. Um, but not him. Mr. G, is uh, he's at it. He's, um, he's going to use the time and the energy that he has to make a difference, to actually do things that help people. And it's just so much more inspiring of a story. I mean, wouldn't that be a lame news clip? To, Mr. G is 76, and he's retired, and he's watching Jeopardy every day, and I, like just a lot of the things that, that people tend to slide in and look for. And the same is true for just suburbia in my life stage. Um, when I talk to so many people in my life stage, you get the, yeah, how you doing? Oh, busy, busy. And, and it is, because it's, you know, I'm running kids to practice. Or after school, whatever. People think doing things for their career, um, saving for whatever. Um, but, but there's, there's got to be something more. And so here's what I want to do with this, with this series. I want to talk about, um, uh, first of all, like what it means to really say yes to Jesus. But then also what we're going to see is those, those common ingredients to, to saying yes to Jesus, like what's a life really look like, which is way more than just believing the right stuff. Um, they also are the elements that help us live for more. Live for more than just the common thing that most people live for with no real um, fulfillment, no real sense of purpose. Um, so, so here's what I think... Just as a, a quick overview, um, for time's sake, been at Polaris now 20 years, since 1999 when we started, so I've been in ministry for over 20 years, been to a lot of conferences, read a lot of books, listened to a lot of different pastors and leaders articulate uh, what it means to truly follow Jesus. And I really think it comes down to four things. And... Um, <clears throat> Sometimes churches and leaders, you know, they'll have their own acronyms and initiatives that, you know, and, and sometimes they emphasize things and it's more than four or less than four. But really, it, it comes down to helping others, especially the underdog, including others, especially the lonely, actually following the teachings of Jesus, like the Jesus ethic, and then your own just like personal relationship with God, things like worship and, and Bible study and like, like things like that. But it really we're talking about those four things that we do to actually follow Jesus. Like if you've said yes to Jesus, whether you knew it or not, that's what you said yes to. It's way more than just raising your hand, praying a prayer, getting your heaven insurance, and waiting to die. Way more than that. And so I'm going to take this month to talk about those. I'm going to talk about three of those things. Helping others, including others, and actually following Jesus like an ancient Jew would have followed a rabbi. And then I think last month, which if you need it, you can always go back and listen on the app. Last month we spent most of the time talking about the personal relationship component. So I'm going to take the fourth week instead to talk about actually what people did in the Bible to cross the line of faith, to actually say yes to Jesus, for lack of a better word, like to convert, even though I don't really like that word. But that, like, what did they do to actually say yes to Jesus? We'll be talking about that on the fourth week. So today, helping others, especially the underdog. When you say yes to following Jesus, you're committing to a lifetime 
of actually doing actual things to actually help people who have actual needs, especially the underdog who has no real way of repaying you. One of the things we say yes to, if we say yes to following Jesus, is to actually do actual things to help people in actual need. Now, I think that's important because a lot of people, you know, we might check yes on the census to Christian, like check, believe the right things. But I wish there was more than just like, like I wish there were other boxes, like I identify as a Christian or something like that that you could check that means like you believe the right stuff, you're feeling Christian that day. But, but then you, there's another thing that you check when you actually are committed to living out the things that Jesus wants you to be living out. And that's where, that's where it's at. So um, I'm going to start with James 2. We're just going to look through some scriptures today and, and, and explore this idea of actually helping people, like really helping people, and then sort of some of the opposite of that, I guess you could say. So James 2 says this, and I'll read it to you. Um, we'll, we'll actually, I'm going to encourage you to follow along in your Bible for, for another passage in a second here. This is what James 2 says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or works? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, I'll be thinking and praying about that. But does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds or my actions. You believe that there is one God. Good. Awesome. But even the demons believe that and shudder. So James seems to, like, that's, that's, a, those are, that's a jab. I mean, that's, the, that's harsh. Um, James was one of the first leaders in the Jesus movement. And that was his conclusion about just, because like, like this, this, he doesn't envision a future when someone like goes to church camp, raises their hand, prays a prayer, and then just kind of believes the right stuff until they die to go to heaven. Like that's not, you look at that, that, that wasn't his version of following Jesus. He's envisioning people that actually do actual things to actually help people with actual needs. That's, that's what he, especially the underdog that can't repay. That's James' version of following Jesus. Now, if you're new to Polaris, you will hear us talk about Isaiah 58 a lot. Isaiah 58 is a passage from the Old Testament. I'm going to give you my own little version of it here. I've snipped some things together, kept the integrity of the text intact, okay? So here's my version. Uh, people are, are talking to God. Uh, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? So they're like, <clears throat> God, we've done these things. We've done these churchy things and you're not showing up in our life. What's the deal? And God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? So he responds to their objections, saying, yeah, you've done these things, but you're not really caring about people. Is not this the kind of faith practice that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. 
do things for people that are oppressed by life? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own family. So God tells people, I'm not interested in anything you say, do, or believe if it's not accompanied by actually treating people well and helping people in need. Now, I want to talk with you for a minute about, and I'm, and I'm breaking, I'm, a, like, I'm off script now, so whatever I say can't be held against me. Um, if you don't mind, grab one of your Bibles in front of you, one of the blue Bibles, and I want to, I want to look at Matthew. There's um, Matthew 7. It's on page 900-something. Remember from the first service. Late in the week, Marcus forwarded me a, a sermon of mine that he came across, the, the audio version of it. Um, I, it was the first sermon that in, in, in uh, 2009, I gave my first sermon in like official senior pastor capacity here at the church. And, and I talked a lot about my blind spot. I realized that I had a blind spot. It was a second kind of conversion for me. Um, and there was very much life before it and life after it. And I, I was very much the first like 10 years of my time here at Polaris. I loved Polaris and wanted everybody to love Polaris and was all about like you loving Polaris. So there was that. And then I also, I loved to study uh, the intellectual side of, of, of Christianity and the Bible. I was probably the only 16-year-old in Maslin with a subscription to Biblical Archaeological Review, reading scholarly journals, stuff like that. I always loved the theology of who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong. Spent hours and hours and hours in the intellectual side of Christianity and the Bible and then calling everybody to love Polaris and make Polaris central to their life, okay? Then I had this massive conversion in terms of approach, and it centered around a couple passage in math, passages in Matthew. So in Matthew 7, um, I'm going to start down in, at the bottom where it says, I never knew you. Look up above that, and you see a tree and its fruit. Jesus, in context, is talking about, hey, there are going to be some people who get this and some people who don't. And you can sort out who gets this and who doesn't through this principle here. So 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers in lawlessness. Like, you didn't get it. So, so you, get, you see what these guys are doing? Who, like, like it, it's, it's like these spiritual meatheads, Okay? And they're standing before Jesus on judgment day. 
talk about prophecy, that's like teaching truth. They're like, do we not teach truth in your name? Order around demons and, and do mighty things in your name. They're like flexing. They were the defenders of truth. They knew. They took a stand, man. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. What a wake-up call. Like they were in the right sphere. They, they called Lord. Like they called Jesus Lord. And in his name, they had done things in prophecy. Man, they knew truth. They could articulate things. Spiritual roids. And yet Jesus is like, I never knew you. Now, very rarely does Jesus talk about like categorizing who's in, who's out, like that judgment day kind of language. He does it again, though, in Matthew 25. So flip a few pages over to, uh, let's go with, we're going to start on 921. When the Son of Man comes, I'm down in, in, in 31 there, the bottom right-hand corner. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. He comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. So he's talking about like whatever judgment day looks like. Uh, this is the kind of language that you're going to use in the Bible for, for that kind of day when it all gets sorted out. Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his left, sheep on his right, sorry, and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed from my father, by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you, foundation of the world, for I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, of these bro my brothers, you did to me. So Jesus speaks of a group of people being welcomed in. They don't even know what they did right. Like this is not orthodox theology here. They don't know what they did right and it wasn't about what they believed. Like that's the, the funny thing about being God. You don't have to have your theology right. You just speak and that's orthodox. Um, I thought that was funnier. Um, I don't even get it. These are a group of people that, that don't know what they did right. They're like, what, when, How, what, we're in? And Jesus says that, that it's about what they did. They serve those in need. And in serving those in need, who did they really encounter? Jesus. And so he looks to one group of people in Matthew 7. He says, I never knew you. And they believed all the right stuff, and they, they, they said all the right things, and they, they did mighty things in Jesus' name. But they didn't know Jesus, which means that what? It means that they didn't, actually, they didn't actually help people. 
They didn't actually serve people in need and love people in need. And in doing so, they, they, they learned all the right stuff, but they never actually encountered Jesus. He never knew him. Now, Matthew 25 goes on to say there's another group of people that aren't welcomed in, and they're like, when did, when did we see you and not help you? And Jesus says, whenever you ignored the least of these, you ignored me. They knew the right stuff. They believed the right stuff. Maybe they went to church every Sunday. Maybe they invited people to church. They championed the right theology. Um, but they didn't actually encounter Jesus because they didn't actually do things to actually help people that actually had real needs. Now, for time's sake, let me just kind of blaze through a few, a few uh, final points. Um, in Luke 14, Jesus talks about the importance of inviting people and serving people who, um, who can't repay you. And I think that's important because we can get into the whole seven habits of highly effective people and think win-win. But Jesus isn't really talking about thinking win-win. I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking win-win in certain contexts. But we also have to think about doing things in ways that we don't win at all. I didn't win there. I'll win on Judgment Day, apparently. I win in that now I know Jesus more and I encounter Jesus. But if we're truly doing things to bless people who can't repay us, then the point is, I need to look at my life and say, am I serving people also in ways that I get no benefit from? Um, which probably means somebody's getting something for nothing. That's another danger in our culture is we don't want, we don't want to see anybody getting something for nothing. Well, we're probably not going to be able to serve people who can't repay us if we're not okay with people occasionally getting something for nothing. Um, and then one final thing. Um, there's an element of help in physical needs. Very important. To help people in their physical need. The hungry, Jesus lays it all out. But we also need to remember people in spiritual need. People in spiritual need. And what, one of my favorite things that, that happens around here at Polaris uh, is when I hear people articulate the difference that the Jesus environment here has made in their life. Like maybe you came from no church, maybe you came from another church, but there's something that you're getting uh, in this environment of growth, encountering Jesus that's making a huge impact in your life and in your family. Kids want to go to church excited about that, maybe it's stuff in your marriage, whatever. And, and I love hearing people say, man, this has just made a huge impact in our world. But what it represents is, is a family or a person who years ago or months ago or whatever was just kind of living the everybody, everyday life unaware that there's this Jesus life over here and somehow you ended up getting here let's say on the Jesus ladder and maybe you're just on the first or second rung whatever but you're on it and it's great don't forget about the family that is where you were that would love to be here if they just knew about it and now you know about it don't forget to lend a, a hand and an invite and help people get to where you are. 
And that's all you have to do. You don't have to answer all the questions. You don't have to deal with, you know, where did Adam and Eve's kids get their wives from? Like, you know, somebody may stump you with a Bible something or ask you some question from something they heard on the History Channel. You don't have to answer that stuff. You just say, I don't know, but this is working for me. This has helped my marriage. This is helping my kids. This is, all you got to do is be able to articulate. So here's how Peter says, and I'll close with this verse. 1 Peter 3. <clears throat> Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. <clears throat> but do it with gentleness and respect. So ideally, someone notices that the conversations are a little bit deeper than, you know, travel sports. And, um, and someone notices a difference in your life or, or something. And, and through an intentional conversation, you're able to say, this is what's working for me. And that's all you really have to do. And then, and then give the invite, but, but be thoughtful about who you can invite. Like, who's out there who represents someone who would love they don't know it, but they would love and so benefit from the life you now have. And you were where they were. And then you're going to give them the invite to help them along to get where you are. Seriously, who is, because you might represent the best voice that God has in their life to get them to where you are. That's got to be a part of practicing your faith. The, the practice of helping people spiritually, even if you're not ready yet, even if you're just getting somebody to where you are. Um, all right, let me just kind of whiplash. Let's, let's, let's close up shop there. But I hope you'll leave thinking through maybe, um, maybe you don't know. Like maybe there isn't anything clear in your mind. You just know, all right, I have to be watchful for ways that I can help people and learn to see Jesus in the eyes of those in need. And you're just going to, okay, this week I'm going to, see Jesus in the eyes of those in need and, and try to do something to actually help. Or maybe there's somebody that you know needs the invite. Spiritually, you're going to help them or have the conversation with them to help them spiritually. Uh, I, I don't know what it means for you, but I hope that you are impacted by the words of Jesus and the importance of having this part of actually following him, of actually helping people in actual need, especially the underdog who can't repay you. All right, let's stand, and I'll close in prayer. Father, you could be any God you wanted to be, any kind of God. You can do anything. It is such a relief to know that you love those in need, uh, that you are compassionate and gentle and care about people in need. And that as we encounter those people in need, we actually encounter you. So in the words of the ancient Celtic Christians, may we see Christ in the eyes of all. Christ in the eyes of all we see. And I pray that you would impression deep in our heart names and faces and causes that you have set aside for us to impact because we've said yes to Jesus or because we want to say yes to Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask these things.
Amen. Have a good week.